This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, poetry with the most recent winner of the Miller-Williams Prize, Jay Bailey Hutchinson. She'll speak with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth and how Northwest Arkansas, Austin, Texas, and the U.K., We'll combine on stage at Heartbreak House for a concert Saturday night. Before any of that, reasons to vote in the Arkansas primary. Early voting for the May 24th election begins Monday. Yesterday, we hosted Misty Orpin and State Senator Jim Hendren, Executive Director and Chairman of the Board, respectively, for Common Ground Arkansas. The organization's mission is to place people over partisanship. State Senator Hendren says one of the ways to accomplish that? Vote, including casting a ballot in the primary. To find out what their legislators, what their county officials are doing, what they're not doing, what their issues are, and then have some understanding of what type of person they want to support. We're not a partisan organization. We're not a Republican or a Democrat organization. We're an organization that's about communication and transparency and people who want to put you know, people over politics and find real problem solvers to, to, and we're trying to help identify those people. But you have to get involved and you have to do your research. And I'll let Misty talk a little bit about some of the tools that she's created on our website so people can have those, have an understanding about how do I go to the polls and how do I know who to vote for? Yeah, well, I think the first thing people need to do is kind of make a plan for when they're going to go vote, right? So you basically from May 9th until May 24th that you can vote a lot of I think in Benton County, there's 13 early voting polling locations. And then in Washington County, there's that or more. And a lot of those are even open on Saturdays. So there's no excuse for not early voting because it's extensively out there and available to you. So make a plan for when you can go vote. And then go to our website, um, commongroundair.org. Um, and you can find our pick page. So it's our personal impact calculator. And what that does is it tells you in your county, which party's primary is the most impactful, right? So we looked at how many of the races in the May primary actually don't have opponents in November. So that's your only chance to vote in that race. And then we looked at just how many races there are on each of those primary ballots. And we scored that so that you could kind of see if I vote in the Democratic primary, here's how many races I impact. If I vote in the Republican primary, here's the impact that I can have as well. And just to see if you really care maybe about your county judge's race, and that's the only space that's that, that that is decided is in one particular primary, then you want to make sure that you're voting in that primary, right? And so we've made that easily accessible for people on our website to understand where their vote can, can matter the most, because you only get one, so you want to use it strategically. Yeah, and let me just add to that. We're in no way saying that people shouldn't vote in November. We know the turnout will be higher in the general election, but many people think that is the election mm-hmm. and don't realize that, no, most of the election's already over. The other thing that there's a lot of misunderstanding about is Arkansas is one of several states that you can vote in whichever primary you want. Some people think, well, I have to be registered as a Republican or registered as a Democrat if I want to vote in those primaries. Not in Arkansas. And the purpose of the tool that Misty's talking about there is so people can understand uh, if 85 percent of the decisions are going to be made in one particular primary, maybe you don't like any of those candidates, but you like some of them less than others, and you want to have a say in that, particularly if there's not even a general election opponent, that's your only chance. So we're trying to help people understand waiting till November, you're giving up almost all of your voting power. And there's some parts of the state where you need to be smart about which primary you vote in if you want to have an impact on all of those decisions that are made. You know, Arkansas is dead last, 51st when it comes to number of people who vote in primary elections. When you don't vote, you're often saying as much as when you vote. That is so true. And one of the things that's been shocking to me as Misty's put the data together is to figure out that uh, we have 15 percent of the eligible voters in some of these districts. That's our traditional uh, turnout in a midterm election and in a primary election. So you've got a a majority of that, 7 to 8 percent of the people who are eligible to vote calling the shots for 90,000 people in a state senate district. So you've got a very small number of people driving the ship. And a lot of people who are frustrated, and part of the reason they're frustrated, as you said, is because they're not voting. And let me just add to early voting. I'm old enough to remember when we didn't have it, and that's one of the greatest things that we've done to make it easier for people to participate that I've ever seen. 
the ability to go when there's no line, to stop by, like in my case, the courthouse in Benton County when I'm in Bentonville for something and go in and I can do it in 15 or 20 minutes. I also like to vote in my local community, Sulphur Springs. The ladies come up there at our old abandoned school where they have the polling location, and it was always kind of a time of community get-together. But the thing is, whether it be on Election Day or whether it be in the, what do we have, two weeks, three weeks? Two, from the 9th through the 24th. From the 9th through the 24th. You've got such a large window to go and vote. We've tr- There's no reason that we should be last in the country. We've, we've got new equipment. We've spent millions of dollars in Arkansas the last four years upgrading the equipment so you don't have to wait in line for an hour and a half to vote. Uh, People just need to do it. So to follow up on what you're saying there, I think so many times the reason that people don't vote is because the narratives that we spin about, one, we tell people that it's hard to vote. You always hear how hard it is to vote or we're making voting harder. It's actually really easy to vote, like Jim was saying. I mean, it's generally fast because of the voting machines. Long times of period where where you have an opportunity to get out there and do it. Um, so it's it's actually really simple and painless to vote as an Arkansas voter. Um, and the second part of voter apathy is just that when you look around and you don't really see candidates that reflect your values, you see people kind of it's a race to the bottom sometimes or people being their worst selves in politics and you don't identify with that and you don't really want any part of that. And so I, I want to express to people that we have some really good people running at your legislative level in Arkansas, and please try to get to know them, reach out to those candidates. I mean, we have Republicans whose, you know, main focus is on improving mental health access for everyone around the state, right? We have um, some really great Democrats running as well. There aren't as many Democratic primaries in Northwest Arkansas, but I encourage people to actually get to know the people that are going to be on their ballot and research them, because you'll find that there are people that you can relate to if you try. If you vote in one party's primary, you can vote in that runoff. I think of the lieutenant governor's race on the Republican side. It has five, six candidates. Right. Odds are we're going to go to a runoff there. Mm-hmm. There, there are several races at the legislative level and at the state level that may end up in a runoff. And you're exactly right. If you want to vote in that and have a to say in that decision – You've got to participate in the primary election of that uh, of that party. And again, there are some areas of the state where if you want to have the most impact, you need to vote in the Democratic primary. There are some areas, in fact, most areas where if you want to have the most say, most of the elections are going to be determined in a Republican primary. And again, we're not a party-driven organization. We're not here to have one have victory over the other. We're about people having their voices heard. Because if there's one thing I've noticed in 16 years in the legislature is it's become less reflective of the people as a whole. When I was elected in 1994, I feel like the legislature was a better reflection of what I saw back home. What I see now is the legislature is a reflection of the loudest and a small minority, but they have an inordinate amount of influence in a primary process. And our purpose is to say, Go to the polls, let your voices be heard so that the legislature doesn't just speak for that small fringe, but speaks for everybody. Yeah, and it can often be counterproductive, right? If you only see that the loudest and the more extreme from whichever ideological side are getting elected, you can be turned off. But there's only one way to make that not happen. Mm-hmm. That's right. And that's I understand people's frustration. They just say, I'm sick of both parties and I'm going to stay home. Well, All you've done is made it worse. You've ceded even more authority to a smaller and smaller, louder and louder uh, minority. And we just see too much good in Arkansas and what's happening across this state. Too many people are working too hard to make this state one of the best in the country, to have it just be continually torn down by people who are yielding to those loud, extreme voices who aren't interested in progress. They're more interested in reelection and pandering to the base. We talked with Misty Orpin, the executive director of Common Ground Arkansas, and independent state senator Jim Hendren, chairman of the board for Common Ground Arkansas, yesterday inside the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. The Botanical Garden of the Ozarks celebrates Mother's Day with free admission to members and their mothers or mother figure on Sunday, May 8th. Moms will receive a small plant while supplies last. Gift memberships are available. They include unlimited general admission ticket opportunities, and more. bgozarks.org for details. 
Walton Arts Center presents the 2022 Artosphere, Arkansas's Arts and Nature Festival, May 4th through the 27th, welcoming artists from around the world with performances, activities, and events at locations across Northwest Arkansas, featuring the return of the Artosphere Festival Orchestra, Trail Mix, and more. Tickets and event lineup at artospherefestival.org. This is Ozarks at Large. Last year, the VFW began a project called Still Serving. This Saturday, VFW posts and auxiliaries around the country will be conducting an outgrowth of that campaign, the VFW Day of Service. We called Dorothy Cardial, Senior Vice with VFW Post 2952 Auxiliary in Springdale yesterday, to learn about what will be taking place in connection with the local VFW Day of Service. Um, The way that they word it is that um, they have a phrase that veterans are always still serving so that we have already seen how this attitude uh, promotes volunteer efforts and camaraderie for American veterans. And they are like all citizens in a community, um, but they often uh, will donate more to charities, register to vote, and they'll be a part of local government and activities. And so by creating a day of service, it brings us in connection a little closer to our community. Um, so that's what it's about. How, how will this inaugural day of service in Springdale, what will it look like? What will be taking place? Um, well, on um, Saturday in the morning, we'll be setting up an informational uh, auxiliary booth, which will have uh, information about our organization, how the community can assist. Um, we also will have a program that's called Go Bucket Program, where we help veterans when they get housed from after being homeless. And uh, we have food and gas cards, and we assist veterans in the community. Uh, we will have game, a few games and activities. Um, our post will be having a free lunch uh, opportunity. It'll be um, the big grill and everything will be set up on the corner of Mill Street and Johnson uh, at the little park between the trail and the American Legion building. Uh, There's going to be free hot dogs, free hamburgers, uh, Sports Clips, one of our partners for assisting veterans. Sports Clips will be there doing free haircuts for veterans from um, like 10 to 2, 11 to 2. So the lunch and the free haircuts will be during that period of time. So it's kind of like between Shallow Square, Turnbow Park, and the American Legion building. And as it happens, this coincides with you know, plenty of other activities that are taking place in downtown Springdale on Saturday. Correct. Um, I am familiar with the uh, downtown Springdale um, Alliance uh, Association, the DSA, and uh, they are very active in the mayor is also for um, promoting our VFW locally. And uh, so every time I hear of an event happening, uh, if it feels real comfortable with, you know, us getting um, enough people to, you know, to volunteer out there and it's a good day and everything falls into place. Uh, DSA loves having us there uh, with a little craft fair and the halfway halt. Um, and the American Legion even has a pancake breakfast that morning. Also, our program, if people would like to contribute to our uh, apartment go buckets. We provide veterans with pantry boxes and household goods and linens. Um, so when they first get set up in an apartment, um, we're always uh, open for donations. This is not a specific fundraiser activity. This is to let the community know that what we do, but we are always open for that. Yeah, the VFW, this is the inaugural day of service, but I'm imagining that there are 364 other days of service. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. In the last two years, we've provided apartment supplies for 51 veterans and families. Uh, we, we do our best to, I mean, federal programs will assist them with apartments, will assist them with a bed. 
But once they have the roof over their head, they don't have a can opener to open up the beans or a pot to put it in or a towel or a pillow. So um, there's a lot of other things that are are needed once veterans get uh, stable. Dorothy Cardial is Senior Vice with VFW Post 2952 Auxiliary in Springdale. We spoke with her yesterday. The inaugural VFW Day of Service is Saturday. Earlier this spring, the University of Arkansas Press published a collection of poetry from writer J. Bailey Hutchinson. That collection also won her the 2022 Miller-Williams Poetry Prize. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth caught up with Hutchinson last month to talk about how her first book of poems came together. I'm really not a project writer. I didn't know what would be in the book until the book told me what was going to be in it, which is like, I'm sorry, that's like the most poet answer that I have given. Um, But truly, like I literally what I did was I I just printed off everything that I'd written that I was proud of in the last like five years. And I I sussed out what was thematically related, kind of where the threads were naturally being built. And I I listened to it. I didn't have much of a plan. It just kind of it was in my gut, if, if you'll allow me that. Absolutely. Yeah. And so some of the themes that kind of stuck out to me were there's a lot about place and about identity. And I'm thinking, you know, kind of specifically of your descriptions of uh, the Mississippi River. Can you talk to me about those themes and Mm -hmm. what about that inspired you? Yeah, I identify strongly with like Memphis, Tennessee, the Delta area, the Mid-South. I found even moving to Fayetteville, Arkansas, when I described that region as the Mid-South, people were sort of like, oh, don't you just mean the South or the Deep South or, you know, and now I live in Minneapolis and well, God bless them, but some everyone sort of thinks like, oh, Texas to South Carolina, that's all the South. It's the same thing. But I found that figuring out my relationship with where I'm from, which wasn't always a, a harmonious relationship. Like I said, I I learned through writing, writing is a discovery process. And I had to come to terms with with my place and my legacy, my family, the physical landscape, the sort of inherited violences that come on an individual level and on a cultural level being from the South, um, just by writing about them to them. And can you talk a little bit about just how that and those themes lend themselves to writing a, a poem or, or writing in verse rather than, uh, you know, maybe a straightforward essay or a piece of journalism or something or narrative? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it for me has to do with, with sound and the aural, A-U-R-A-L experience of poetry. Um, you might notice I don't have a particularly strong Southern accent, but on the level of diction, um, like my word choice, it's really, really informed by the way my family speaks. And my family's from, you know, Tennessee, Alabama, Mississippi. And I think poetry allows you to uh, luxuriate in sound and to experiment with that sort of extremely sensory element of language in order to find um, an emotional truth, you know, like obviously there's more narrative and like straightforward and, and clean voiced poetry, but I, I like words that really sort of take up your entire mouth and that you can really chew on. And poetry is the ideal medium for that. Are there any poems, uh, where you had like a a word coupling or, or something that you were like particularly proud of, proud of discovering? Oh gosh, maybe I I'm, I'm particularly proud of my verbs. My, my verbing, I tend to make words into verbs that aren't necessarily verbs themselves. Like I was talking about my grandfather watching my mother use like curse words with a cousin. And I said he was cruding growed up words. I just let those words be as they were without worrying about their their logic or their like rhetorical polish. And I mean, Patricia Smith liked it. So I guess I guess it was OK. And so you'd mentioned, made a nice pun, mentioned gut earlier. Can you talk about where the the title comes from, how how we get there? Yes, absolutely. Um, There is another line in the collection. It's the, I think the penultimate sonnet in a a sonnet sequence. It's like an aborted crown of sonnets um, about my grandfather. And in this poem, I paint a scene of him um, making chitlins. And part of that is, 
he he would swing the intestines of a hog around a tree to sort of get the you know uneatables out. And in that line, I, I said that he was beating the absolute hell out of a tree with a rope the body made. And originally, the, the collection was titled A Rope the Body Made. But the more time I spent with that, the more I felt like, I feel like that's sort of a circuitous roundabout way to just say the guts. And that's really what I wanted this poem to be in conversation with, was obviously and candidly guts. And I, I just kind of like that pop of a single syllable too. Gut it is. Yeah. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the the cover art. I think it's really affecting and kind of really places your work. Did you have anything to do with that or, or did you help come up with what the, the cover art is now? I have so much credit goes to Anthony Blake, who um, actually also went through the Arkansas MFA through the poetry track, finished a year ahead of me. And he, he does um, freelance like cover design and stuff. And he was available for the University of Arkansas at the time that my book was being worked on. And I, I sort of like, I bombarded him with like a Pinterest board and a playlist and like a list of words that I associate with the book. And Anthony is also like, he, he's been in workshops with me too. So I had the benefit of like, this is my friend, but this is also somebody who, who knows my work quite well. The main thing I communicated was I want, I want it to be a little unsettling, but not devoid of whimsy. And he came back with an assortment of, <laughs> of incredible covers, um, including a couple pieces from this Polish artist, um, Aleksandra uh, Walaszewska. Yeah. And among them was this like nightmarish <laughs> worm horsefly girl. And he was like, I don't know, Bailey, is that too weird? I don't want to. And I was like, it's the best. This is the one. She's awful. And I love her. <laughs> You don't like looking at it, but then you can't stop looking at it. And then there's just this sweet little bow on top. And I feel like that's kind of what my poems do. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, or I'll speak for myself as a reader, you know, can find poetry intimidating because it's it's kind of like, oh, is it a joke that I'm not in on? Or, or it sometimes feels like I can't grasp it or fully understand it. And so I get intimidated by poetry seems inaccessible. You know, do you have any advice for for people who want to explore your work or, or other poetry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think reading contemporary is really, really helpful. Um, especially, I think, young people struggle with poetry because mostly what they get in school is like centuries and centuries old. And I'm not knocking the bard, but I, I do think like a 13-year-old might have a little bit of trouble seeing how a Shakespearean sonnet is super relevant to their lives. Poetry in the modern age is getting even more accessible. Um, I think Ocean Vuong was on The Late Show like a couple years ago. Uh, his debut collection was sort of really like an on-ramp to poetry becoming this really discussable subject. Um, I think reading work by queer authors and authors of color and international authors helps you realize that there are many, many more ways of reading and writing poetry than we are maybe taught in school and reading out loud. I mean, again, I know that sounds so simple, but I, I find that there's a type of understanding that comes through when I'm slowing down and, and letting the words live in like an oral space, as opposed to just reading them on the page and being like, okay, everything's kind of blurring together. Yeah. And speaking of reading aloud, uh, would you mind maybe introducing the piece that you're going to read for us today and then reciting it for us? Sure, I'd love to. Um, I'm going to read uh, a piece that was first published in Beloit Poetry Journal. Uh, the title is The Minnesota State Fair's Miracle of Birth Center, sponsored by Subaru. And I guess all I'll say about this one is um, this was before I lived in Minnesota. I just I just came up and I went to the huge state fair here, went into the barn where all the animals were giving birth. And I, I found it terrifying. <laughs> so here you go. The Minnesota State Fair's Miracle of Birth Center, sponsored by Subaru. Before I smell it, I imagine I smell it. Copper slick, torn butter and musk, what gathers in a working groin. 
The barn's no different than outside, really. Foot beaten and humid, maybe a little more soiled. And inside, a cow heaves curtains of red tissue from her backside, quilt of trembling oil. Oh, that's just afterbirth, the vet tells me. The cow's bored eye white, stark in her skull, her chin fretted gossamer. Nearby, a bursting rabbit endures waves of toddler palm. If you're gentle, you get a blue ribbon, first place in not hurting something smaller than you. And I think everything parts for children, crowds, knees, thin velvet of a lamb's cheek for which my hand also hungers to touch what is new and milk drunk, to cup something peak, pink and cropped, mysteriously focal. A sign on the wall lists the times of each new birth, 6.14 a.m., three lambs, Becky, Delilah, Marge, that I can't see through the kneeling team of boys by the pen, their logger yellow crew cuts. Only the mother sheep who looms to the left her indecipherable eye between bars. That was writer J. Bailey Hutchinson speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. Hutchinson's debut poetry collection, Gut, is out now from the University of Arkansas Press. This is Ozarks at Large. Yesterday, protesters gathered outside the Washington County Courthouse in Fayetteville following a leaked draft opinion from the United States Supreme Court suggesting the high court will overturn Roe v. Wade. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore reports. Can I get your name? Uh, Heather Hurst. And what brings you out this afternoon? Just came out to support the uh, awareness being raised about the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade. What was your immediate reaction to the news? Uh, It was kind of scary. It was probably like a lot of fear, even though that's not a big issue for me. Um, Just about interfering with like my right to choose what happens with my body. So it's kind of scary. You can hear the support from the honking, and it's not just women out here, which makes me feel a little bit better, you know? Um, But just seeing, like, even a small group of people getting worked up about it, I guess kind of makes a difference. Can you give us your name? Sure. Nicole Clowney. And what brings you out here this afternoon? Um, You know, I'm a state representative for Fayetteville, and I know that uh, my constituents, along with myself, are very disheartened by the news coming out of the Supreme Court, the potential news coming out of the Supreme Court, and are here to voice our disagreement with it. What do you think when you see this crowd of people out here? Uh, When I see this crowd of people here, I see a bunch of people who um, have been living in fear for a long time of this reality and are now seeing it come to light. Um, We've been fighting this for a long time, and I think that this shows that we're not done yet. Arkansas has a trigger law that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortion will become illegal in the state. Does that worry you? The trigger law is very concerning to me um, because I think it's a woman's right to choose, but also because that law is very extreme. It includes no exceptions for either rape or incest. And so um, we are going to see some really devastating impacts if Roe does turn out to be overturned. In Arkansas, we'll see those impacts pretty much immediately. What have you heard from constituents just in the last 24 hours? You know, people are very, um, I'm I'm hearing a lot of mixture. Obviously, there's a lot of sadness, a lot of anger, um, but there is always in this district a lot of desire to act. What can we do now? And so I think that there are a couple things that people can do. I think first, they can contact their federal lawmakers and and request that there be some federal law that protect this right. But I also think that we need to um, focus on on preventing unintended pregnancies in this state in a number of other ways. Um, We need to focus on calling for comprehensive sex education, um, access to contraception, um, improved prenatal health care, all of those things um, will help those who are now going to be put in a very hard position because of this ruling. Can I get your name? Lauren Jackson. Lauren, and you have two little ones here with you? I do. Yes, Samantha is five and Ben is eight. Why did you feel it was important to bring them out here for the protest? Um, Well, number one, my husband's out of town, (laughs) so I didn't have a choice. But also I think it's important that they see their mom standing up for people's rights so that they know that when their rights are up for discussion that other people stand up for them. What was your reaction when you heard the news? Um, It's shocking, it's disturbing, it's upsetting. 
I'm grateful that I know that there are states that will keep abortion rights, and I plan to, if, if this really does happen, I do plan to help fund women traveling to other places if they need to. Um, we just moved here from Illinois, so being from somewhere that that's not an issue, um, certainly raising my children in a state like this, it's concerning. Um, I'm going to do everything I can to help it get held up. That leak out of the United States Supreme Court is the topic of the latest conversation between Roby Brock with our partner Talk Business and Politics and John Brummett a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Roby asked John Brummett for his take on both the unprecedented leak and what was contained in that draft. Well, like a lot of things, my initial reaction was this was to be fully expected, but now that it's happened, it's very jarring because it is a sea change culturally in the country. And on the heels of that, my reaction was, my God, what a leak out of the Supreme Court. I just wrote a paragraph for tomorrow saying it's the biggest leak. Uh, first said since the Pentagon Papers, now I think it's bigger than the Pentagon Papers. It's uh, it's the inner process, previously the secret, sacred process of the Supreme Court in which they have voted in conference apparently. Samuel Alito has uh, been appointed or nominated himself uh, on the prevailing side to write the opinion. He's written a 98 page draft and that draft which is supposed to just be talked about and written and edited and cogitated on privately by the justices, somebody said, let's give it to Politico. And uh, that's a striking thing to do, which politicizes uh, uh, the, the, the process. Uh, and uh, just altogether, uh, just a jaw dropper of a major American event that has implications broadly for all of us, especially the uh, female half of our population. So uh, obviously the way that the news got out is uh, pretty uh, interesting and, and something unprecedented, quite frankly. Um, but right. let's talk about the ramifications for women. You and I are two middle-aged white guys talking about this. I want to be really clear that I don't have the same perspective as some women do because I'm not, I don't walk on my shoes. I was sensitive to that. I want to be intentional for that. Uh, for those who come down on the pro-choice side of the argument and those that come down on the pro-life side of the argument that are female, what, what does this say to them? How does this change the world for them in your estimation? Well, it can only be my estimation and everybody's got, uh, and people have starkly different estimations and that's what makes this the dominant and most divisive issue of our time. But I believe that for the, for the U.S. Supreme Court to be in an apparent position to soon take away across the board the president of Roe v. Wade and Casey uh, establishing a woman's right to choose an abortion, to simply take that away and turn it back to the 50 states, do away with any federal right uh, for women in that regard, uh, is... Uh, is an affront to uh, to uh, American women uh, more than an affront. Uh, it's it's uh, it's uh, deep disregard, uh, uh, that, and it and it and it it changes fifty years of uh, of practice, and it leaves it leaves a situation in which there'll be no federal right, but thirty three states, including Arkansas, have a trigger that that. To, in varying degrees, outlaws abortion within that state as soon as it's allowed, leaving 17 in uh, blue states, let's say, uh, 17 states that might reinstate Roe v. Wade essentially through state law, meaning some women in America would have, uh, would have a right that others don't have unless those in the other 33 states have enough money to get to one of the 17 states. This divides by geography, divides by blue and, and, uh, and red, uh, and divides economically an already, I think, near toxically divided country. That's that's about all I see as the ramification of it. So let's talk about it politically. Um, this can charge up. It has for decades charged up the Republican base to try to get control of federal government in order to appoint the judges to get this ruling overturned from 1973. For the Democrats, it has been one of those um, positions that they have long held as, you know, uh, important to their party platform. 
So what does this do as we're in an election season? We knew that this was going to come out at some point this year. Now that it's out, how do you see it changing the political dynamic? Does it give advantage to one party over the other? I think it takes the political uh, temperature for the midterm elections across the board, Democrats and Republicans, and uh, raises it about 30 degrees from, uh, say, 80 Fahrenheit to 110, say from 90 to 120, makes it scorching hot, uh, motivates everybody. The Democrats, of course, are more accused. So a liberal justice's clerk, who a generic one, is, is generally accused of leaking this. We don't know who leaked it. And, and it's believed by a lot on the right that it was for the tactical advantage, uh, getting getting that going, getting that cooking right now, because it will inspire Democrats in the midterm. And as you know, in the midterms, the party out of the presidency, normally its voters are more motivated to go stop that president from any success and it changes Congress. This, I think, at least evens that in terms of motivation, Democrat to Republican. But it also motivates Republicans because you, you, all, you may already see that the Republicans aren't satisfied with this. They're, they're not going to say this. The, the case, uh, the matter is concluded. They're going to say now that that the, the Alito draft leaves to the politicians uh, the right to, to decide this issue. That doesn't necessarily mean just the states. And the Republicans are going to push, I think, a bill to establish by statute a federal ban on abortions uh, six uh, uh, before a heartbeat, so to speak, whatever that uh, that time is, six months, I guess. Uh, and then they won't be able to pass it because it can be filibustered and they can't pass it anyway with Collins and Murkowski and others, but they can keep it going. They can, And so I think the Democrats are going to be fired up by fear and resentment and outrage. I think the Republicans are going to be fired up by a chance to do even more. And I think we're going to have a midterm election for the ages. Uh, I mean, this is the, and, and I don't mean to overstate, What's been the issue, the cultural, social issue of our lifetime, Roby? It's been it's been a woman's right to choose an abortion. It's been Roe versus Wade. It's what the culture war is all about. It's why so many evangelical conservatives would put up with Trump's behavior because he delivered the three nominations that provided the winning vote uh, that uh, that freed Alito to write this draft. So so that's what I I, th I think this just. This just markedly ratchets up the midterms uh, this time. John Brummett is a political columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. And Roby Brock is with our partner, Talk Business and Politics. Support for KUAF comes from Westwood Gardens celebrating Mother's Day with hanging baskets, garden giftware, patio pots, blooming roses, and more. Westwood Gardens has four locations in northwest Arkansas. Westwoodgardens.com for more. KUAF is supported by Butterfield Trail Village, northwest Arkansas retirement community catering to active lifestyles and resident well-being. Amenities and living options from apartments to village homes, plus on-site fitness facilities are available butterfieldtrailvillage.org for information. Happy Wednesday. This is Ozarks at Large. The next two weekends will mark the end of the inaugural season of Black Fret Music in Northwest Arkansas. The Austin-based project is designed to support local and touring musicians through a modern-day patronage program of support. Earlier this year on our show, we talked with Colin Kendrick, a co-founder of Black Fret, and Graham Weber, the director of programming for the Bentonville chapter of House of Songs, as the pilot season began here. House of Songs is a partner for the Northwest Arkansas Black Fret Project. We recently called Graham Weber to find out how the first season has gone so far. It's been a real joy for me and for the House of Songs to be able to bring artists from Austin and Seattle and Denver, um, artists that most of whom we've worked with in other projects before, to come to Northwest Arkansas and see it and, you know, really assimilate into, into the area for a while and get to know and work with our local musicians. Colin Kendrick, the CEO and a co-founder of Black Fret, told us in early March a goal was not just to create a financial buttress for musicians, but to expose audiences to musicians and kinds of music they may not otherwise know or seek out. Last week, we asked him if he thinks that's happened with this version of Black Fret. I do. I, I, in fact, I know it has. Um, 
we've had we've had everything from hip hop to singer songwriter to rock and roll uh, to um, Americana, and we're bringing in a bunch of Irish musicians in this next weekend. The next to last weekend of music presented by Black Fret this season in Northwest Arkansas is Saturday night at Heartbreak House on Block Street in Fayetteville. One of the Irish-born singers on that bill is Pat Byrne. Byrne, who now lives in Austin, wrote and recorded his latest album, Into the Light, during the pandemic. He says he was able to spend time with the songs that he might not have had if the near-total shutdown of live music hadn't happened in the last two years. At first it was tough, and then, you know, actually, as it happened, the, the pandemic turned out to be a really great thing for me in that it made me spend a lot of time alone and write a bunch of songs, which became a record, and... And I, I recorded that record in Nashville with a bunch of musicians who would have been otherwise engaged uh, had the pandemic not been in a full swing. You know, they're like some of the greatest musicians working today and they were all stuck at home. So they jumped at the opportunity to work on a record. So that worked out pretty well for me. Byrne says he also made new fans with live streaming concerts during the pandemic. He says, though, he was certainly ready to play in front of a live audience again. Many of the songs on his new record carry titles that seem appropriate for a pandemic. Win, Lose, or Drown, Losing Heart, and When's It Gonna End? Half the record was written in a darker time for me. Uh, not necessarily during the pandemic, but pandemic gave me a lot more time to reflect on certain things and and I suppose that's where the title for the album came from, Into the Light. Like, was, there was so much darkness at the beginning of the record, and then gradually it moved slowly into the light. And I think it was a, I think it was an important message for the time, you know, like this too shall pass kind of thing. More Austin-based music will be in concert Saturday night. The duo Beat Root Revival. Ben Jones, English-born and one half of Beatroot Revival, says while the pandemic might have changed things for singer-songwriters, he thinks the fast pace of an instant digital world has changed for him, at least, songwriting even more than the pandemic. It doesn't allow you to gestate on things for too long. You know, as in there used to be that thing. I remember when I first started writing songs and you would you would write in these projects. Of, I, I, I know I definitely would. If I, I'd be, I'd write, I'm writing a new album. So I'm kind of earmarking things for an album. Whereas these days, obviously, because of how fast things move and because of how much more so streaming is the, is the governor when it comes to how people consume their music, everything needs to be much more of a fast turnover. You know, and, and I think, especially during the pandemic, um, home recording, people really honed their skills if they hadn't done that before. I mean, I know I certainly did. I made a record at home. As a, and it wasn't a pandemic themed record, but it was, it, you know, there were definitely themes within those songs of, you know, one of the songs is called Keeping Busy Doing Nothing. And it, but I think if I'd have held that record over, it wouldn't have the same potency or poignancy. So, yeah, I think you're right. It definitely the way that technology moves these days and the delivery methods of music. I mean, you know it yourself in radio, it's the same, it's, you know. We're, we're, all, we're all facing a new frontier. Jones says while fans can hear Beatroot Revival's music from almost anywhere quickly, the real connection for him comes from house concerts like the one Saturday night at Heartbreak House. I think the pluses are really in the column, ironically, where it used to be the case before big business took over any of the entertainment industry. It always, you know, art really existed because of patronage. And it's kind of gone back that way for grassroots artists now. And there's a part of me that loves that. I mean, as I say, I really love house concerts and and also getting involved with organizations like Black Fret, who uh, have partnered with House of Songs for the show that we're doing for, um, with you guys, for you guys. Um, but it, it's 
it's an interesting model because it really does reconnect genuine fans with music on such a personal level. Also playing Saturday night, the local duo Meadowmakers, Dana Louise and Noah Richmond. They were busy during the pandemic building a house and welcoming a baby into their family. Both are joyous additions to their lives. We're, we're excited to start booking shows again, though. But yeah, sure. stepping stepping back into playing is a little nerve-wracking for me. I I feel like I've lost all my calluses, uh, not, I mean, literally, and, and uh, you know, just standing on stage, having people look at you is something that I, it took a long time to feel okay doing, and I've got to kind of relearn how to be comfortable in that role again, and... I don't know. It's it's such a a head trip. I feel like after two years of not doing something you're so passionate about. Dana and Noah continued to play, write, and sing almost every day during the pandemic, and we'll hear some of that new music Saturday night at Heartbreak House. This is their new song, "Good Morning." Revival and Pat Byrne are out-of-towners playing in Heartbreak House for the first time. Dana and Noah are quite familiar with the room. We recorded um, Dana's last record there and um, have done some small performances there, but it's been at least two or three years. Yeah, and I, I grew up watching shows at, at Good Folk and uh, as a kid, so I, I have many memories of watching music in this place, so it feels good to be on stage. Yeah, it's the sweetest little room. The next concert in the Black Fret series is Saturday night at Heartbreak House in Fayetteville. The weekend after that, the inaugural season concludes at Rail Yard Live in downtown Rogers with Western Youth, Arkansas, Rachel Evans. As for the next season of Black Fred in the region, CEO Colin Kendrick is counting on returning. I'm already ready to talk about it. Um, all signs, we've achieved all the goals we set out to with the pilot um, when we're only two-thirds of the way through the pilot, so everything else is uh, upside, so I fully expect Black Fred will be uh, extending our season into the fall. And there is much more live music this weekend all over our listening area. Timothy Dennis will list as much as he can on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Support for KUAF comes from Malco Theaters, offering reserved seating at the Rogers Cinema Grill, Springdale Cinema Grill, and Razorback Cinema Grill and IMAX Theater in Fayetteville. Showtimes, tickets, and more information available at malco.com or the Malco app. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we often think about opera being about the past. The next production from Opera Fayetteville is about the future. We'll learn more about that production with cast and crew inside the Furman Garner Performance Studio on tomorrow's edition of Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 on 91.3 KUAF and by using the Ozarks at Large podcast. It's the Community Spotlight on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Always good to be joined by Jill Dabbs, Executive Director of the Downtown Springdale Alliance. How are you doing, Jill? Hi, Pete. I'm great. It's always great to be on here with you. Thank you for the invite. Uh, With the city of Springdale, y'all have worked hand-in-hand to develop that downtown area for some time now. In 2015 was when we passed our very first downtown master plan, which really gives us, Pete, the blueprint of the development plan and the programming plan for downtown Springdale. Really, the focus for this update is the housing, extending the streetscape on Emma on down towards the Jones Center, 
we're going to be looking at uh, parking and micromobility, you know, how, how pedestrian and bicycle and uh, handicap accessible is the downtown area. It says to people, you're welcome here. Park, get out of your cars and stay a little while. Urban areas are, are built for people uh, more than they are the automobile and, uh, and people like to gather. So it's, a, it's, you know, just, it's all part of the atmosphere and the characteristic of a great downtown. This uh, downtown Springdale master plan update uh, will kind of guide development for the next three to five years. And y'all are, of course, wanting the public's input. Now, May 18th and 19th, y'all are holding some community input events. What's going to be taking place? At this meeting, the planners are coming back. They're going to take the input that they got last month and from over a 1,000 surveys that were returned to them and give input as to what amendments or adjustments or additions or deletions should be made to the current downtown master plan. And it's really important, Pete, for us to hear from all the different diverse communities within our community. So we've put this information in Marshallese and in Spanish. We will have translators at the meetings as well to really reach the people of this community and encourage them to come take part. This is their downtown, and and we want everybody to be a part of that input. Jill Dabbs, Executive Director of the Downtown Springdale Alliance. Thanks for letting us know about this, hoping to get as many people's voices out there as we can. Thank you, Pete. Appreciate you so much. Have a great day. You can see the updated master plan as well as get more information on the meeting dates at the website downtownspringdalealliance.org. The Community Spotlight and KUAF, your voice matters. One hot night, a benefit evening for the Elizabeth Richardson Center is scheduled for May 5th. That's tomorrow at the Fayetteville Public Library. It features two events in one, Beach Bingo and Hot Trash Couture Fashion Show. It will include raffle prizes, a silent auction, lots of food and drink. Tickets and information at eventbrite.com. The University of Arkansas is offering funding for online job training at no cost to qualifying Arkansans, funded by a federal grant administered by the U of A's Global Campus. 15 career fields with training to choose from. All training programs are online. Most are self-paced. If you like details, training.uark.edu slash reimagine, or you can call 855-402-3300. I'm Joy McGowan. I'm Denisha Simpson. And And we are Resilient Resilient Black Black Women. Then all that tension that I might have been feeling, just you sitting here and listening to me and responding, I might, my body will start to just feel less heavy, less anxious, and just feel better. On the next episode of Resilient Black Women, Joy and Denisha explore grief, how it affects the body, how it particularly affects African Americans and communities of color, and what you can do when you're feeling overwhelmed by it. That's on the next episode of Resilient Black Women, available at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. Resilient Black Women podcast was the editor's pick at NPR One this past week. You can listen to all the episodes by going to KUAF.com and going to the Programs and Podcasts tab or just subscribe through any podcast distributor. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Decatur. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Daniel Carruth, Matthew Moore, and Roby Brock. Our theme is titled First Raw. It is written and performed by Daryl Sean. Additional help today with the show provided by Rachel Sanchez-Smith. You can find past editions of our show, plus individual stories and interviews, online at ozarksatlarge.com and through the absolutely free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad. We're done for today, but we're back tomorrow, noon and 7, and with the Ozarks at Large podcast from downtown Fayetteville. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Callums.